Power Users, Episode 10, Security. And welcome back to the Mac Power Users Podcast. It's been a little while since we uh, podcasted. David, happy to be back with you. Me too. I'm well rested, back from my vacation at Yosemite and ready to get geeky. And uh, I am not well rested. I am been moving and relocating and changing jobs the last uh, few weeks, but uh, it's all good. Yeah, you change jobs, move to a new location, and you're sick. And I'm a little bit sick, yes. So um, to our listeners, I apologize in advance for uh, my voice and whatever else you may be hearing coming over the microphone. But I will uh, try to sit here quietly on mute until I have something intelligent to add to our conversation. Well, that never stopped me. I talk anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a lawyer. I can't help myself. All right. I'll try just not to sneeze in the microphone or anything. How's that? (laughs) Well, thank you for taking one for the team and and coming online when when you aren't feeling 100%. But uh, we're getting a lot of emails. People are looking forward to the security episode. So I'm anxious to talk about it. Yes, I am too. In fact, security has been something I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days, couple of weeks. Uh, specifically just because I've been in the middle of all this transition and have been relocating and actually kind of juggling, you know, wrapping up one job, starting another, and have been on the road quite a bit. Uh, Going from house to house is a little bit of a vagabond, you know, with my Mac. And it really got me thinking, you know, I've I've always been a little bit of a security nut, but my entire life is is really on this Mac. And once it kind of gets out of your comfort zone, it makes you a little nervous. You know, it's funny because I worked on PCs for a long time simply because my job required it. and Nobody I was ever cares m- if a PC gets stolen? No. Actually, I was, I was much more concerned about security in those days. And, you know, now I've been on Mac several years. I kind of got a little soft about it. And getting ready for this show and, you know, a few other things going on have helped me kind of tune myself up a bit. And I think that's a risk that Mac users have is you start to feel like you're invulnerable and you're really not. Well, I guess that's that's funny because we were just talking about security and, and you and I had two uh, very different initial reactions to it. Mine was more worried about my Mac getting stolen and getting people getting access to my data. And I think your first thought was more about viruses and malware and things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, they're two, they're two different sides of the same coin, but you're right. Um, as a lifetime Mac user, I can see how viruses don't even come into your consciousness. I'm not entirely sure what those are, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I've got one right now, but I think my Mac is pretty healthy. So before we jump into this, I thought we should discuss the principle of security versus convenience. This show really isn't meant to give you hard and fast rules. I think it's more to kind of let you know what's out there and you can make your own decisions. Uh, if you're just using your Mac to you know, write your school papers, I think your concerns about security are much smaller than if you're carrying you know, confidential files on it. Maybe if you've got the 70 secret herbs and spices for the colonel's country fried chicken, you know, you got to have a lot of security there. Whereas, you know, if it's an English paper, eh, you know. So for everybody, it's different and you have to balance that issue of convenience versus security. But I'd really like by the end of this episode for the listeners to have a pretty good idea, you know, at least where those potholes are. Yeah, that that's true. And um, obviously this is a show where we could go in a number of different areas uh, quite in depth, and quite frankly, we probably will in the future take some of these more specific areas and make full shows out of them. All right, so let's get started and talk about viruses. Viruses. 
You've been writing a lot lately uh, to the listeners. I've been reading your emails, very informative, on the 10.6 virus protection. Yeah, there is none. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like it, though, when you read the, uh, the articles on the interwebs. Well, first, uh, just to be clear, as of today, when we're recording, Tuesday, September 8th, 2009, it will probably change now that I've said this. I should knock on something. Um, there are no viruses for Mac OS X if you think of virus in the traditional term of a self-propagating piece of malware that requires no user interaction, something that you can just catch um, by going to, you know, something that you can just catch and it can propagate itself and send itself out to all of your friends. There is, however, malware on the Mac, and specifically we've seen a few cases recently uh, of Trojan horses on the Mac. So that is more what the Leopard anti-malware implementation is really all about. And at this point, there are really only two definitions in their security file. So I guess on one hand, it's good in that there are really only two big known uh, Trojan horses out there for them to protect against, but can you really call it anti-malware if it only is checking for two specific things? Yeah, that seems kind of um, weak, but at the same time, those are the only two that have been documented on the Mac. Um, you hear about reports of theoretical viruses and lab-grown viruses, and a lot of times you don't know whether to trust those or not because a lot of times they come from the people who are trying to sell you the virus software. But fortunately... We have not been hit with any type of significant viruses on the Mac. And uh, Apple has some protection with 10.6 in the sense that they, they catch this malware. But you're really running blind. And I still do that. I don't run any virus software on my Mac. Do you? No, um, I don't. I have um, owned some antivirus software just in terms of, I think it was Antigo that came with a couple of the Mac bundles that I had. And I did have it installed at one point, but never set it to do any um, background scanning. I would run it occasionally, you know, more just to see if it picked up anything. And, you know, realized that it was hogging system resources. And especially if you've got the background scanning enabled, it was really hogging system resources and wasted a lot of time and never caught anything. What happens with a lot of these packages is you catch PC viruses in your email attachments. So then you become... I guess, an innocent carrier. You're forwarding these emails to colleagues. You may be sending them viruses if they're on PCs. And that's kind of nice that you can capture some of those. And going back to my PC days, you know, installing Norton on your computer, it was like voluntarily getting a virus. Uh, I mean, if you have, if there's anybody that's listening to this that's ever operated a PC with Norton, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot get that thing off your hard drive, you know, short of dynamite. And yeah, new can pave really is the only way to do it. I mean, it's terrible, and that kind of carries over. So I'm really hesitant to install it on the Mac. Um, that being said, I'm not telling anybody just to not do it. Um, I'm just telling them I've chosen not to do it. And if you think you need it, then by all means, please go ahead and do it. Yeah, I there, would. I would never scold anybody for buying antivirus software. I, I would have some recommendations in terms of which brands to buy. But yeah, I think that. The day may come when we need uh, virus software on the Mac. Maybe it's sooner rather than later. I hope that uh, Apple is taking the right steps with these uh, system upgrades to hopefully protect us from that. But, you know, the day may come, but I don't think it's arrived yet, at least for me. But if you are interested in some virus software, uh, there are several good applications. Norton has a package for Mac. 
and I have never spoke to anyone that used it, but just because I was so unhappy with it in the PC world, I, uh, I would be hesitant to put it on a Mac. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. McAfee is, was a good one on the PC, and I know they have a product for the Mac as well. And then I think there's a couple specific Mac vendors. Right. And Tico is the one that I've gotten before in bundles and I've had some correspondence with. And um, uh, I um, have personally used their product in a very limited fashion in terms of just running um, you know, scans on my own and not letting it do any background work. And uh, it seemed to have a decent user interface, and um, I didn't notice any problems while while having it installed. And then Clamex AV is an open source alternative, which um, puts a nice GUI interface on the Clam AV antivirus back um, um, engine. And I know a lot of Mac people, um, you know, recommend that and use that, especially because it's free. You know, just with all of these, obviously, your antivirus is useless the first day a new virus or exploit comes out. It's all about how quickly they update their definitions. And the other thing about antivirus software is it could give you a false sense of security that you can go and do anything and open any attachment and download any software, and and that's kind of silly. You know, I glazed over earlier uh, when you talked about malware versus viruses. And, you know, we have had malware on the Mac, and... The most recent one came in the form of downloading a BitTorrent uh, illegal version of iWork. I guess the question is how much sympathy do you have for people who uh, do obvious illegal things on their Mac? Now, certainly I'm aware that there is a gray area out there, but, um, you know, I my own personal opinions about the matter. But I, I would say if, if you, as a general rule tend to stay away from that seedy underbelly of the internet, not to say that BitTorrent as a service necessarily is, but using BitTorrent for inappropriate purposes, uh, chances are, are good that you're, you're going to stay away from a lot of these problems. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were downloading an illegal copy of iWork, so you know they, they probably should have expected something like that. But it's gotten worse than that. I was uh, I had my niece over, and she loves the Wiggles. I don't know if you know who they are. Like you have to be a parent to know. But 10 years ago, they were a popular, I think, Australian kids band. And my little niece loves them. So we were looking for some Wiggles clips on the iMac. And we went to a, a site that had you know Wiggles clips. And it said, popped up, says, oh, you need a new definition. You know, your flash needs to be updated. Uh-uh. You know, on the kids' videos, I, and I, I knew I didn't need Flash updated. It was trying to, if it was sniffing for probably a PC and it was going to load a virus on, I'm, I'm certain of it. And uh, so, you know, it's just not those seedy underbelly places that you're going to get this stuff. I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. And it doesn't matter whether you're running a Mac or a PC, uh, this malware is out there and there is malware that works on the Mac. Uh, Apple has tried to defend it a little bit by running these definitions, but it's only running definitions of stuff that is already well publicized. It's the stuff we don't know about that you need to worry about. So, right. uh, and running- I, I will point out that interestingly, Apple has not advertised this as one of the many features of Snow Leopard. Well, how can they with all these commercials? <laughs> I you know? know. I mean, they really can't. But uh, overall, you're pretty safe on a Mac. But just don't be stupid. You know, when you're when you're on the internet and it tries to to force stuff onto your computer, think about it. You know, think about where it comes from. And unless you really need it and it's a trusted source, don't do it. And the BitTorrent thing is, you know, that's foolishness. I mean, 
$80 for one of the best, you know, office productivity apps, just pay it or don't get it. There's, there's free options. We've talked about them. So, you know, just be smart and you're probably going to be okay. Uh, but if you're really nervous, get virus software, but understand that's not protection. You know, that protects you from the known and not the unknown. And sadly, it's the unknown that's going to do the most damage. Well, and, and it's not going to do anything until it's already on your computer. So by the time you've caught it, it's too late. Yeah. And that gets back to our backup episode and some other things as well. Well, and that also brings a, an interesting problem with regards to backup, because depending on how destructive these viruses or malware is, um, you know, especially if you're doing one of these clone backups, you, you know, if you've got something undetected on your system that goes on for a while, your backup may not necessarily help you because by the time you realize it, it too may be corrupted, which again re- goes to the redundancy I remember the good old days when you got a virus and it just wiped out your hard drive. You know? And so you knew pretty quickly. There was nothing subtle about it. It rewrote your directory on Windows and you were dead. I mean, your computer died in about you know, 30 seconds. Now somebody could own your computer for months and months and you have no idea that they have full you know, root access. Um, I haven't heard really any verified stories of that on a Mac and they may no. be out there, but you know, just be, be warned. Okay, so we talked about the virus software and the malware risk, um, but I think an, a more important and relevant issue really is data security. Right, because a lot of people, and especially in, you know, look at their computers as having their entire life on it, and their concern is, man, if I drop this, if it's lost, if it's stolen, I've lost all that data. Uh, to me, that is a secondary concern, obviously, because I have my backups. The thing that's going to keep me up at night is who's got my data and what are they doing with it? Yes. If someone has access to your computer, physical access, then they're going to get into your banking website. If you've saved your passwords, they're going to get access to you know your financial information, perhaps your tax information. Your tax returns, if you have TurboTax or any of those types of documents, which has got your social security number, your address. Um, you know, pretty much all the information you could possibly need for identity theft. Well, I mean, even more direct than that, if they get into your bank account anymore, they can probably just write themselves a check. Yeah. So what are you going to do to protect that information? How far are you going to go down that rabbit hole? Um, I don't go quite as far down the rabbit hole as you do. Um, personally, I take... Uh, a few precautions and a more intermediary step that to me balances, as you were talking about, um, convenience with security. Uh, rather than running one of these whole disk encryption programs, I uh, use a combination of a uh, disabling automatic login to my Mac in combination with a secure disk image. And what about you? Okay. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk, um, you know, the password to login issue, I just think everybody should do that. That's, that's one of the exceptions I'm going to make where I say that that's really not a judgment call. I think everyone should require a password to get into their, to their Mac. Well, and what's frustrating is that it is turned off by default. Yeah. I just had this conversation with someone who says, well, I have a laptop, but it's always at home. I never take it out. I don't want to put a password on it. And I explained if someone breaks into your home, they get your Mac, they're going to get into everything. Or, right. and, and certainly a Mac at home is lower risk than a Mac that goes out into the wild. Yeah. And, you know, there's no laptop that always stays home. No. 
it, it always ends up going out at some point. I, I just kind of feel that go ahead and put a password. It just takes a second. And Apple's done something really neat with Leopard. I'm sorry, Snow Leopard. They put in a new setting where you can give yourself a little bit of a grace period. Uh, because I'm such a scatterbrain, a lot of times I'll close the lid and say, oh, I forgot I wanted to add something to OmniFocus, you know, because, you know, that's, I have to drop my items in there or I'll lose track of them. And then I open the lid and, you know, then I've got to retype in the password to get in. Uh, I can make it so if I open the lid in five seconds or a minute or five minutes, I don't have to retype the password in. Right. But, but what you're talking about right now isn't a login password anymore. We've moved out of the realm of login password and now moved into the security setting, which requires a password when you wake the computer from sleep or after you activate a screensaver. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm jumping. But I think both of those should be turned on. Okay. I agree. You, yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense not to, especially with a laptop. But even with your home computer, I mean... There's just people in my house all the time. I just don't feel comfortable with the kind of data I've got on there to make it so easy. So just a simple password doesn't have to be overly complex is a good idea. Uh, Now, you had talked about also doing some encrypted disk images. And I did a screencast on those, I don't know, a couple years ago. I'll have to see if it's still good. But I think all the rules, I might have done it in Tiger, to be honest with you. I actually watched it recently, and it does seem to be still good. At least I couldn't notice anything drastically different. Yeah. But it's just a great little tool. Um, On the the PC and now on Mac, there's a great app called TrueCrypt. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And I used to make images in TrueCrypt on the PC. Well, of course, OS X has something similar built in. And you're creating a virtual little drive, and you can make it as big or as little as you want. And it mounts on your desk just like a drive. But when you lock it up, uh, you can't get into the data without supplying the password. So uh, imagine someone gets possession of your computer, and you've created one of these drives. Let's say you create one that's two gigabytes. And in it, you put your taxes, your your really key data that you don't want someone seeing, maybe something from work file or something like that. Uh, once you've got it in there and you dismount that that disk, then it's just on your drive as as a mountable object, and nobody can read the data in it unless they mount it and provide the password. And it's important when you do this, when you set it up, and I would recommend rather than try to explain how to do it audibly, just go download my my screencast because it takes you through each step. But the most important piece of advice is. Do not click the box that says save the password in my keychain. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you've just completely undone all of the security that you thought you did. So don't even it, bother. If somebody has access to your computer, they have access to your keychain. So you don't save that in your keychain. So that's one password you carry in your head. But you set up this two gigabyte drive and then you can put your Quicken file or your bank records or your tax returns or your work files in that thing. And then before you shut the lid, you just, you know, you dismount it so it locks itself back up. And then you've got kind of a second layer of security. And I think for most people, that's plenty. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you, especially in the newer versions of uh, Mac OS X, you now have the option to create this as a sparse image and now a sparse bundle file. And the beauty of that is you just need to set an upward threshold that your disk image won't grow larger than, but your disk image will grow as you add more stuff to it. So if you set that upper threshold at 5 gigs but you only have, you know, 500 megabytes worth of data, it's going to use the 500 megabytes plus a little overhead 
but it's not going to use the five gigs. And, you know, I, I used to notice before this was an option that every year, every year and a half, I would have to recreate that disk image and make it a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Um, I think I initially started out at like 500 megabytes thinking, gosh, who's ever going to use more than 500 megabytes for these types of files? And, uh, you know, kind of like how, how would you ever use more than a gigabyte on a hard drive? <laughs> or how about when I had the Tandy Color Computer and I couldn't imagine why you would need 8K of memory. Right. But, but we I live and learn. I addressed that in the screencast. You do, you do want to set up as a sparse image. A note here, however, is the way uh, OS X handles the sparse image, at least before Snow Leopard, I haven't checked it since Snow Leopard came out, was whenever you add it or move files around there, it still used space. So you may create the sparse bundle and then delete some images out of it. Well, it doesn't still, shrink back down. Right? Exactly. There's a couple um, automator scripts that were available. In fact, I think I blogged one at Max Sparky, and if I can track down the link of that article, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, that you could run an automator script that would automatically reduce it. Um, uh, another thing I would do once in a while is just copy all the data onto a folder on the drive and just trash the sparse image and just, just make a new one. And it doesn't take that long to do it. So either way, you can kind of housekeep that. But if you're going to set up a secure image and you're going to move files in and out of there a lot, it will grow faster than makes sense to you. So you have to kind of be aware of that. Right. So now, what is the downside that we probably want to discuss to creating this sparse disk image? Aside, of course, there is the inconvenience of having to type in a password. Um, but there are also some concerns in terms of um, data loss and data integrity, which I think is what you were alluding to a bit by copying the items off and then, you know, blowing it up and starting all over again. Yeah, I would, I would definitely have a, a secure backup somewhere. And the nice thing about the secure image is you can copy it anywhere. You can put it up on your Dropbox. You can put it on a thumb drive. You know, it's still a secure image. You don't have to, you know, you can actually move the image after you create it. But I used to, when I used these, is I would also have an unencrypted set of those files on an external drive somewhere in a closet or somewhere. Uh, so if something went wrong. That being said, I used these uh, secure images. Now I'm using them again for years, and I've never had one fail. Right. I've never had one fail either. There just is the concern that if, if something wonky happens during the encryption or the unencryption process, which is basically the mounting and the dismounting process, it is possible that you corrupt all the data on that little virtual drive, which, again, is why it's important to have backups. And the beauty of this is, you know, I have time machine backups. I have super-duper backups. I've got this thing backed up. And um, if my backups were to disappear or walk away, that data is once again protected on the backups as well. So I was perfectly happy with that system as well. And um, I always kind of thought about whole disk encryption I, knew tr I know TrueCrypt has some solutions, but it's kind of open source, and I wasn't really sure I wanted to, to turn my whole hard drive over to that. And then last year, PGP came out with its Mac product of whole disk encryption, and I tried it out, and I really liked it. So I went ahead and paid the 120 bucks or whatever it cost me, and I had my laptop drive entirely encrypted up until about two weeks ago. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you had a little vent session about this on the Mac Roundtable, and I've seen some tweets going back and forth. Yeah, and I don't want to go into it at great length here. It works great, but they just didn't have it ready for Snow Leopard. And because I'm a geek, I cannot help myself. So 
I, uh, I disabled PGP and now I'm back to my old system of, you know, passwords and uh, encrypted disk images. And I've actually removed some of my more um, key data just off the laptop entirely until things get sorted out. And I'm sure they'll have it sorted out real soon. When PGP worked in, under Leopard, it was flawless. It encrypted the whole drive. And all you had to do is type in another master password upon boot up. And it worked just fine. I mean, it was very just as fast. I never was able to tell any speed difference. So if you want to uh, really go crazy, I think PGP is the way to go. Because when that disk is encrypted, it is just locked down. I always felt that with the other system, if someone, even if they can't get your password to your to your Mac and they're smart enough, they can take the drive out and they can reboot it and apply all sorts of magic. Eventually they can get through just your basic login password. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. And, you know, certainly I, I'm not sure to what extent we want to advertise, but they, they are out there, the ways that you can use to get access to data on a Mac, specifically if you have physical access and, you know, one of the funny stories is I'm I'm pretty active in a local Mac user group meeting, and we had someone who came to the group with a, a laptop that was, um I don't know if it was theirs or a family member's, but they had a legitimate story, and they were a longtime user, and, and, and we believed them, or a longtime uh, member of our meetings, and we believed them, but they had a Mac that they couldn't get into, or they couldn't get into a specific user account. And uh, I said, okay, well, you know, just just hand this to me, and and I'll, I'll I'll get in there for you, and and change the password to something that you know, and and get you back out. And uh, it, it was literally two minutes. And uh, it's, it's not hard if you know how to do it. Yeah, handed handed the uh, disk back, the computer back to them, and they said, well, how how did you do that? And I'm like, eh, no, I'm not going to tell you. But the 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 bottom line is, it can be done, and. I think a password is a good idea and it keeps a lot of the population out, but some of the real bad guys or people with good intentions like Katie can Or, or just really it. geeky people. Yeah, <laughs> they can get through it and it's only, you know, as good as long as it takes to do a computer reboot. So as opposed to the PGP, uh, they aren't getting into that drive because it locks down as soon as you shut it off. As soon as you turn it back on without the PGP password, you're not getting any data off of it. Yeah, I'll um I'll tell you that I I was talking to uh John F Braun of the the Mac Geek Gab uh at Macworld a couple I think it was last year. And I was asking him, you know, what what do you do to to secure your computer and he's like, you know, he went through the whole regular stuff and then, you know, he said, "Oh, you put a password and blah 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 blah." I said, "No, no, 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 John, John. If I want to secure my computer from you, what do I need to do?" And he's like, "Oh, well, in that case, uh, and his basic answer was, yeah, PGP or uh, one of these specific files, you're going to need a secure disk image. You know, another point to make about all of this is if you're going to go this route, whether it's PGP or a secure disk image, you need to write down your password and put it somewhere uh, where it doesn't get lost and other people don't get it. Because if something happens to you and you've got your data on there, nobody's getting in. You mean like if you have amnesia or something? Or if I get hit by a bus. Hmm. Do they really need your data? Uh, my wife would. That's would, probably would true. Tough. You know, if you've got family uh, business, I actually have, I have it written down in the place you would think it would be written down. And I've actually given her name of some of my geek friends to help her get into whatever she needs to, you know, Aww. move on with life. And But that's something to think about because if you're the only one carrying this data, these numbers around and that data has any value outside of you, then there needs to be a way to get back into it. 
Um, now, we kind of skipped over File Vault, and there's a reason. Yeah. It's always it made me nervous. Sucks. I used it. I tried it um, before I moved to PGP. I said, well, let me try the free stuff. And, you know, it took up a whole, whole bunch of extra space on my hard drive. It was slow. It just, you know, it just doesn't work. I mean, frankly, I think Apple needs to uh, to just nuke that out of OS ten. I've never heard of anybody with a good experience with File Vault. Um, I, I've got it running on my my dad's computer, just kind of in lieu of of some of these other methods that I've tried to set him up with, but he just says it's too much. And um, you know, I've got good backups for him, and I, I feel that. Having file vault on it gives me a, a little better sense of security for some of his stuff than it would without it, especially on his laptop that travels back and forth. But uh, no, I ain't putting that thing on my computer. Yeah. Well, if anybody listening is using file vault and happy with it, please let me know and we'll do a follow up on it. But honestly, I've in the years it's existed, I've never heard of anyone really happy with file vault. And uh, it was much worth it to me to spend the money to put PGP on for whole disk encryption as opposed to have File Vault around my neck every time I tried to use my Mac. Well, in File Vault's defense, David, and, and Allison's going to email you, Allison Sheridan, because she uses it, I believe, or she used to. I think she still does. File Vault has gotten a lot better with the more recent versions of Mac OS X. Um, uh, you know, especially using it under Leopard on my, my father's computer and setting him up with it. He doesn't notice any kind of difference. Now, there may be a slight degradation in speed. My real concern with File Vault is especially when it was new. I believe it came out, was it in Tiger, Jaguar, Panther? One of those. I don't remember. Yeah. But I think I've covered all my bases there. Um, it was a little prone to um, eating people's data which I have not heard of any of those types of problems happening anytime recently in more recent versions. So I, I don't think it's the dog that it used to be. Yeah. But if, you know, if there's a risk that, you know, protecting your data means losing your data, then obviously that's a non-starter. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, there's, there's also that risk with any solution, really encrypted disk images, and, uh, I mean, even PGP, I would imagine that if PGP barfs at the wrong time, um, bad things could happen. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I am a strong supporter of PGP until they came out with Snow Leopard, and they weren't caught up. They did not release a version that works with Snow Leopard yet. And to add insult to injury, uh, the way their software license works, you pay a yearly fee, I think, of $27 to you know remain eligible for their upgrades. And they sent me an email on, I think, Wednesday saying, oh, by the way, we won't work on Snow Leopard, so don't install us. And then they sent me an email like two days later saying, hey, guess what? It's time for you to renew your yearly upgrade. <laughs> so <laughs> for the first time in my life, I have actually paid for software that doesn't work on my computer. So uh, we'll see how that works out. I believe they're going to get it sorted out. And I, I think it's a good product, but uh, it is a little annoying that I don't have it now. And it's required me to remove some data from my computer because I don't have that PGP protection that I always had before. It feels really good when you've got your computer insured and PGP'd and you know that if someone you know takes it, they aren't getting anywhere. Right. Okay. So what about backup security? So we talked about you know securing the data on your Mac, but all these backups we're talking about, I mean, that stuff is just as vulnerable. 
maybe more so. Right. In my case, like I said, I do use that secure disk image, and that secure disk image is going to be secure in all of my multiple backup methods. It's on my time machine. Uh, it's on my clone backups. That disk image is one file that's going to be just as secure regardless. So um, I don't worry about it a lot, but obviously the primary concern for most people is securing the data on their computer. But, you know, if you have a break-in and you have a theft and you've got that shiny new MacBook sitting next to that shiny new hard drive or that shiny new time capsule, chances are they're going to take both. Yeah, I think one angle to this is if you've got a backup and you've got an off-site, you know, like we talked about in our backup episode, uh, think about that and how secure is that wherever it's at and um, what is available on that to snooping eyes. I used to, at one point, leave a backup in my desk drawer at the, at the office, and it didn't have a whole lot of secure data on it. It had, like, pictures and things like that. But ultimately, I decided I just didn't want to do that. I just didn't want to have that data somewhere where we have cleaners and all sorts of other people with keys walking in and out. And uh, I think you need to be aware of that. And if you are going to backup off-site some of this uh, important data and you don't want snooping eyes, uh, just put it in a secure disk image. It's not that hard. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a pretty good. And, you know, keep in mind that if you're going to put your entire backup in a secure disk image, um, you may have some problems because to my knowledge, and David, please correct me if I'm wrong, you cannot boot from a drive that has all of your data on a secure disk image. No, and I wouldn't recommend even trying. I mean, <laughs> you set up a secure disk image to hold specific data. Right. You don't put your operating system in there. Right. I mean, one way to do it would be to... Uh, super duper or clone backup your system and then that will copy the secure disk image as part of the clone and that'll just be on there. And Which is if, what I do, right. Yeah. And then if you want to, like I was saying earlier, if you're afraid that for some reason the secure disk image may become corrupt, um, having an unencrypted version of that data, you know, somewhere, not necessarily next to your computer, but somewhere in a safe location uh, hard drives and thumb drives are just so inexpensive. You know, I, I was at Micro Center, which is a pretty popular computer store here in Southern California, and they had eight gigabyte thumb drives for fifteen dollars. You know, I mean, it's not that expensive to get something to put some of the more important data, and you can put a thumb drive in a pretty sneaky place. Right, that's true. Okay. Uh, so we've kind of covered that issue, and I'm looking forward to hearing that I'm wrong about File Vault, but I, I have no interest in trying again. Um, what about internet security? Internet security is in phishing scacks and email security and all of that stuff that we're about to talk about in this next section is really probably the biggest concern for Mac users. Um, as you've said, we, we're really fortunate in that we don't have to deal with a lot of malware or a lot of viruses. And really having your MacBook stolen or your computer stolen, although it certainly happens to people every day, is um, you know certainly not the norm. And you're, you're much more likely to be attacked, uh, I guess, from an internal force in your Mac than from an external force, if that makes sense. Do you, um, well, let's just talk about the issue of internet security. You know, where are the risks out there? Everywhere, I would think. Um, you know, any any time you go to a new website, um, not as much with Macs, but there is certainly the concern of um, a having a um, a uh, a plugin 
that is not what it appears to be, try to download and install itself on your Mac or a video codec or having some kind of Java exploit. Um, so that comes from actually, and can actually be passive, you know, browsing to a site that has one of these in, uh, exploits or, or starts an auto-download without you knowing. Um, there can also be um, things like phishing scams, which do require some user interaction. And, you know, in fact, right before we started, you know, recording this podcast, I got yet another one today. Um, another issue is keyloggers. And then another issue, which is, is not nearly as important on a Mac, but is obviously someone externally trying to brute force attack their way in, which is, which is where a, a firewall can, can help protect you. You know, the phishing scams, I was trying to explain it to my mother, and she didn't really understand it. But I said, you know, the thing is people can spoof. They can fake who they are coming in. And they're, they're very sophisticated at it. I think the most dangerous one are the PayPal fishers, where they send you an email that looks exactly like it came from PayPal. There's a link. It look, everything looks legitimate. And, hey, you know, your account needs to be upgraded or something, and, and you bite it. You know, you bite on the bait and you click the button and it brings you to some site in, you know, Russia or some some place where they're trying to get this data and you type in your credit card number and, you know, you basically open the door and, and let them into your wallet. There's some ways around it, though. And uh, I think some of it is software based. Uh, if you look at some applications like 1Password, uh, you know, 1Password creates um, automatic logins for you. But it only creates the automatic logins on websites that um, the login uh, started from. For instance, if you have a PayPal site, 1Password will keep your automatic login. And it will not give you that automatic login if you're at a site that looks just like PayPal but is not PayPal because it doesn't, the DNS and the, uh, I'm sorry, the, was the IP number don't match up to where you originally set the password. Right. Were you aware, were you aware of that? Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. And if you're not on the site that you think you are, no matter how much it looks like it, one password's not going to have a login for you to fill in. And that should definitely be your first clue that something is very, very yeah. wrong. Yeah. So you can use some software tools to try and avoid this. But once again, it's, it's just about being smart. Banks and um, you know, places like PayPal are not going to send you an email asking you to upgrade, upgrade uh, your, um, your credit card information. In fact, most banks now have, have gotten more careful in the way that they word their emails. And they specifically tell you, hey, there's an issue. We need you to do something. Go to our website and log in rather than here, click this link and we'll take care of it. And I think that this is another thing where if you're at the least bit concerned, uh, go analog. Pick up your telephone and call them up. Right. And I, I mean, absolutely. Or, again, go physically, manually type in their web address, log into your account, and see. Because if there really is something wrong with your account, when you log in, you're probably going to get a big warning message or you know, see that your balance is zero or, or something of that nature. And there are some tricks to, to see exactly the link you're about to click on in the email, and there are some tricks to see the, the links in the, uh, the menu bar of your, your browser. But I wouldn't trust that stuff. I, I just think these guys are really smart. And they do, they spend many, many hours figuring out how to spoof these sites, and it's very convincing. So, just you, it's your common sense, you know, your noodle that's going to keep you out of these problems more right. than anything else. And, and like you said, they're very smart. And as smart as you think that you may be, you know, I, I've never, again, knock on wood, gotten had by one of these sites, but 
I've had several emails that really convincing. Yeah, my bank recently uh, merged with another bank, and I got an email about, hey, th- we're making these changes, and this is what's going to happen. And uh, as soon as I got the email, I called up the bank and said, okay, did you send this email? Yes, we did. Okay, so what do I need to do? And, and we walked through the phone, and I got the, the, the link over the phone and, and logged in myself. And you know, it just smelled funny to me, and th- fortunately, it wasn't a phishing scam. It was legitimate, but uh, just be safe. And be aware. I mean, when you own a Mac, you see the commercials, you think you don't need to worry about that stuff. This is a completely different type of risk, and you are just as vulnerable as everyone on the PC. Another good software application, uh, in addition to 1Password, that I think helps for this is Text Expander. Because, once again, uh, keyloggers log your keystrokes. If 1Password and Text Expander are just dumping that information in, I believe you are safe. Um, right, because Text Expander at least works with the clipboard, and Text Expander is like doing a copy and paste. Yeah, uh, so that's that's one thing to do. Um, we got a uh, question from a listener about: Is there any browser that's more safe than any other browser? Um, I know there's a lot of people who have written on this on the internet, and not many of them agree. <laughs> so it's hard for me to take a position on that. I can say that in my experience, I use Safari, and I know sometimes Apple is slower to adopt some of the security measures that Firefox has. I know I believe that was the green bar in your menu bar to indicate that it was a safe site, and there was a couple other standards that a lot of people were using that Safari didn't adopt or they were slow to adopt. Uh, but I like Safari, so I've continued to use it. Yeah, I too like Safari, and and that is my personal browser of choice. But w- one thing that I do wish we had more access to with Safari is that Firefox allows extensions and add-ons, and there are some great extensions like NoScript and AdBlocker and things like that for Firefox that, although they're they're designed to do different things, will also have the added effect of helping keep you more safe. Yeah, there are some plugins for Safari, and I don't even use many of those. I mean, the reason I like Safari is because it's so lean, but... um. That is something to be aware of, and uh, I think you can get away with Safari so long as you use your noggin. You know, right. just be careful. Um, now we've talked about the phishing and the keyloggers, uh, but you know, firewall attacks. Uh, uh, if you're at home, it's probably pretty rare, but it doesn't hurt to have your. You know, once you have a router set up, um, uh, WEP encryption is no longer good. You can break that almost immediately. So yeah, I've. I've heard some security experts say it's about the equivalent of wrapping a piece of tinfoil around your Ethernet cable. Yeah. Um, so if your router at home it just supports web encryption, you might as well not have it. Um, well, maybe. So, uh, I mean, it, will, it definitely keep uh, some casual people out. It will probably keep your neighbors yeah. from stealing your bandwidth. Um, but most it, routers, even if they're a few years old, will have firmware updates available. And I know I had an old D-Link router that was a couple of years old that only had web uh, and lo and behold, went to D-Link's website, and there was a firmware update that would allow it to do WPA. Yeah, if it's just WEP, you'll keep your neighbors out, but you will not keep your neighbor's kids out. That's probably true, yes. So WPA encryption is the way to go. and WPA2 now. Yes, I, you're, you're correct. WPA2 is what I'm using. Um, the, uh, the firewall settings in OS X are kind of interesting. And, and they keep changing. Well, don't you think that the Snow Leopard uh, security studying is a bit of a reaction to all of the blowback they got with Leopard? Yeah, Leopard was was very different in that you had to specific... Well, first off, by default, out of the box, it was set to let everything in, which, you know, might as well not even be turned on. Or I don't even think it was turned on 
uh, perhaps that was the setting out of the box. Uh, and then in Snow Leopard, you have to, to go to this advanced tap, which allows specific things in and out. And in this case, it says automatically allows signed software to receive incoming connections, which signed software uh, is one that has a valid, valid security tif- uh, certificate in the eyes of Apple, of course, um, to provide access to the Internet. And I had actually had an issue with my firewall settings, and it was more of a corruption issue that my nuke and pave resolved, but I, it was the one that many people were having. And that was like I, I had my firewall set to block all but those services that I had specifically allowed access and consider myself to be a power user and someone who can handle that and manipulate that and make it do what I want. Uh, but there was a bug in that if you had uh, certain types of air tunes enabled and were using a certain version of iTunes and configured a certain way, which the stars all happened to align for me, that for whatever reason that setting would not stay checked and you would have to say every time, yes, allow incoming network connections. And it was uh, really getting annoying, but that seems to have been resolved with Snow Leopard. Okay. Uh, in terms of my home iMac, I don't even run the firewall because I figure I've got a router and that's where my shield level is. Yeah, but but then don't you have to remember to turn it on and off on your, your portable machines when you go somewhere? Yeah, well, I'm talking about my iMac okay. first. And I, I don't even run the firewall on my laptop. It depends. Um, whenever I'm out in public, shields are up. You know, the firewall goes on. And uh, I remember to do it. I probably not the safest way to go. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't remember to do it. But when I'm at home, I, I turn it off. So I don't really care. The other thing I do is um, recently I've been fortunate to get a uh, one of these Verizon MiFi cards. Oh, I want one of those. <laughs> okay, brief digression. My wife has this home business, and uh, that was my uh, my uh, courtesy for helping her out. She says, "Okay, Mister Geek, we're going to get you one of these MiFi cards." Because I I complained about it, I think on the roundtable or somewhere about how much it costs. But I just got tired of waiting for AT and T to figure out if they were going to let me tether or not, and. You know, I was on a plane. A guy had one. He shared it. You know, he shared connection with me. Uh, so then I had to buy him drinks. You know, it, but it was just too cool. So I decided I'm getting one. But now I go into Starbucks and I, I still carry my own network. I don't go into their network anymore. So you have the internet in your pocket? I do. Very cool. Yes. You'll have, I, to, ha- you'll, you'll have to hang out with me at Macworld. Because I, I will. I have to be yeah. in your network. I've got a couple other people that I'm planning on, on mooching off of, assuming the networks stay up at Macworld this year. Well, my network, I plan on having my network going. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, you're right. Uh, whenever I'm in anywhere public, uh, I put the firewall up on the laptop, but when I'm at home, I keep it down. And that's probably not the safest thing I could be doing, but nonetheless, here I am. Uh, DNS rerouting. Bad stuff. Yeah. So what a DNS number does, and people are going to write in because I'm in no way an internet expert. Yeah, give give us a very simplified explanation. Yeah, so basically, DNS number is the actual, it's the way the, when you go to your computer and say go to maxsparky.com, it doesn't know what maxsparky.com is. It it connects the name maxsparky.com to some numbers that basically are the maxsparky.com address on the internet. And tricky people can get in and reroute that information. So when you say go to PayPal, it actually sends you somewhere else. 
even though you may manually type paypal.com in your web browser so you think you're safe. Yes, and you know the DNS servers are run by your local cable company and various other people on the internet, some of which are very proactive and some of which are not, and they could be open to attack on this. Basically, it's the underbelly of the internet, and if someone gets access to that, they could break the whole internet. I think that's happened a few times in the past, and I don't even want to pretend to act like an expert on this stuff, but uh, it's a big risk. And from the user perspective, just know that uh, you could type in a name and go somewhere that is different than where you expect it to go. So I think there's a really good solution to this. It doesn't cost you any money. It's called OpenDNS.com. And you can reset your DNS server on your home network. Uh, I've done it on mine. And uh, so I have taken myself out of the hands of my local cable company, and I've put myself in the hands of these very security-conscious folks at OpenDNS.com. And if you go there, they give you instructions how to do it. And if you want to get even better instructions, go over to the typical Mac user. And George Starcher, who is one of my uh, Mac heroes, did a very good series of screencasts on OpenDNS, and we'll put that link in the uh, the show notes. Yeah, that that made me a little nervous because Open DNS. Um, quite frankly, I'll I'll take the flogging. But by the time we do the next show, I'll have this fixed. Is something that I've always been meaning to use, but have just never gotten around to it. And in fact, I have those typical Mac user screencasts um, saved on my computer. One day, saying that I'm I'm going to watch them, but uh, got a little intimidated when I saw there was a part one, part two, and part three. Well, it really is much easier than you think. And George talks about how to customize it. I mean, if you have minor children in the house, you want to make it so not only does it protect you, but also keeps them from going to sites that you wouldn't want them going to. Or just you if can, you have people in the house who act like minor children. Yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> Probably uh, some adults are more important. <laughs> uh, when my brother-in-law comes over, I might have to think about that. But Thank anyway, um, the uh, so... You've got these. You, there's a lot you can do with OpenDNS. It doesn't take long, though, just to get yourself running with the basic service. If you're running Apple hardware, it's even easier. And uh, George does a really good job of explaining it. And just go do it. I mean, take 10 minutes or 30 minutes and just do it. You'll feel so much better afterwards. And you'll know that you're invulnerable to some of these DNS rerouting attacks. Because I have always understood that if there's one company that's not going to get caught by this stuff, it's, it's OpenDNS. Well, and I just want to correct you said. You're invulnerable to these attacks. Well, you're, that may not be true, but you're a lot less vulnerable. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably overstating. But uh, it's a lot, I think it's a lot less likely for you to have a rerouting problem when you use a service like OpenDNS than if you just use your you know, local cable company. Right. Now let's talk about email because that is one of the areas where I think uh, people just send this this email off, they, they, it goes out into the air, it comes down somewhere else, it ends up on somebody else's computer. And, um, you know, I think we have a really false sense of security that our email is safe and is not going to be intercepted. But especially if you're on one of these public Starbucks Wi-Fi networks or something like that, uh, I promise you there are people around who just for kicks and giggles are, are sniffing the packets and reading your messages. Yeah, the thing is, if there's, an, there's a setting in your email called SSL, and it secures your password and username as you transmit it over the air. If you don't do that, if, it's, if you do what they call it in the clear, if you send it without that SSL box ticked, your name and email password are in the clear. Someone that's, that's sniffing the, the local air can pull down 
your name and password for your email. Once they get that, um, you are in trouble, especially if you take my advice and have an IMAP server, because then all of your email is, uh, is they have access to all of your email. You know, they, they log into your IMAP server just like you would. And if you've got downloaded credit card statements or um, user accounts and passwords and registrations, all that stuff is there for them to read. Well, and especially if you're prone like most people, you probably have the same username and password on a couple of different services. I hope not. Don't. <laughs> Just don't. Yeah, and that's even worse. If, if you're using the same user account and password for everything, then it's terrible because they're not only that, they're going to find out where you're getting your bank statements from. Then they're going to go to the bank and they're going to log in. And if you are using the same password um, as for your bank account as you're using for your email, then you're really in trouble. So, you know, right now, stop that. Go buy one password, use a different password for everything. Make it, hard, make it at least hard for these guys. Click on your SSL, you know, secure that thing. Um, do you find yourself, and this is, maybe I'm just crazy, but I, when I go into Starbucks and these places, do you Looking find around? Re- yes, I'm looking around for You're the... Going, okay, harmless, 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 hmm... <laughs> I I totally do as well. It makes me nervous. That's why I'm really happy to be using this MiFi because now I just run through my network and I don't use their. Yeah, their but you, you know, people probably look at me and say, "Hmm, harmless." So. Yeah, well, don't do that. You know, <laughs> secure that password. If you're going to Starbucks, be careful. Just don't go to Starbucks. Period. Nothing wrong with that. No, you know. no. Nothing wrong. Just be careful. If you're not going to be on, if you don't need to be on the internet, then just turn it off. I mean, I've I've been what? in those places when I, you know, sometimes we just need I just need to get work done at my office. Last week we had the air conditioning go bad. I needed to write a brief, so I went over to Pete's, had a nice cup of tea, stayed there for three hours. I never turned the internet on because I was I was working in Scrivener the whole time. You know that wow. little airport. That's a thing? lot of self restraint. Well, that little airport thing, you can just click that. Turn it off, and then nobody can get into you because you've got your airport turned off. Yeah, I had to do that when I was studying for the bar exam. And I uh, only allowed myself um, certain amounts of time within certain hours that I could actually get access to the Internet. worked well. Yeah, the, the Internet wasn't a big enough deal to be dangerous to me back then. So. <laughs> okay, uh, so be careful with your email security. PGP also has uh, a way to secure your email. It's kind of tedious. Uh, but it is very secure. If that's what you want, you need to have two people using it. Right. I was going to say that really only protects you if both parties are using PGP. So I would say it's really more of a corporate solution, especially if your corporation has adopted PGP and everybody there is using it. Yeah, but if there's someone that you need to have secure email with, um, that's a very good solution, and it's very secure. The cost is pretty significant. I mean, like I said, I believe... I just don't remember, but I think it was about 120 or $130 when I bought yeah, it. That sounds about right. You'd have to put it on each machine, and then uh, right now you can't run it on Snow Leopard. So that's Details. not good. Yeah. Uh, password information and security. So uh, we've, got, we've got to talk about our favorite application that if we've not sung their praises enough, uh, 1Password, because that application has – revolutionized the way that I keep my passwords, the amount of security that I use in different applications. And it's a place where I can store all of this secure stuff without any fear that, I mean, that anybody's going to be able to get to it except me. Yeah. And that's one password. Uh, 
And it does I, more than just autofill passwords, although that's probably what it's most famous for. Uh, it's also a password generator that will yeah. generate and remember passwords so that you don't have that same username and password for everything. And so let's talk about that for a second. It's really easy to get into the habit of using really dumb passwords because it's hard to figure out what you're going to use as a password. I am, there was a time when I had, I think, three passwords. I had the one that was really secure that I used in one or two places. And I had the one that was kind of secure. And then I had one that was something like password that was for, you know, uh, going on to, you know, websites and logging into their bulletin board or something like that. And, you know, that ended well, before I started using one password, but now that I have one password, it's even easier because they have a button there that says generate password and it pops up a dialogue. You can say how it's got a slider so you can pick how many characters you want and it's completely random and, you know, it's very fast. So, and then you click the button, it drops the password right into your, your web form and it saves it to the application and ties it to the website that you just put it into. So it's a really easy way to come up with very good passwords and have a different one for every website. Now, it, it is a little less convenient if you're not on your Mac or a Mac all the time. Yeah, that's true. If you need to get into a website and you don't have 1Password installed, you have got to – well, I carry it on my iPhone because I have the iPhone app. You've got to type in all these crazy characters. Uh, whenever my wife asks for a password to one of our websites and she needs to get in, um, I think I get stuff thrown at me because <laughs> – <laughs> What are you crazy? I mean, really? <laughs> do we really need fourteen digits for you know, you know, REI? I mean, do we? <laughs> you know? I can't help myself. You well, know, your but, wife doesn't have a copy of One Password on her computer. Yeah, with you know, all I've, your family I've ins- passwords. I've installed it on her computer, and I I told her that I'd be happy to teach her how to use it. But she's not as crazy as me. She doesn't want to sit there and listen to how to, how to do. She all just this rather stuff. throw things at you. Yeah, and you know, let's be honest, it is kind of fun throwing things at me. Sure. But um, I think 1Password is a very good investment. I know there's other things out there, but ever since I started using 1Password, I think two years ago or so, I've never even looked at anything else. It also does a good job of holding data and um, serial numbers and other things like that. So you can, it does it wears multiple hats, but primarily for having good, secure passwords, uh, 1Password gives you the ability to do what you know you're supposed to do but are always too lazy to do. Now, talk a little bit about 1Password for the iPhone because they've got a couple of different versions. Yeah, they originally came out with the 1Password basic app. I think almost at the launch of the iPhone app store or very shortly thereafter, and it was originally free. And it does a really good job. It syncs with your iPhone, and uh, it carries all the data that you've got. And then they came out with 1Password Pro. And I just bought it. I mean, they had a limited time. It was at a reduced price. I don't know how much it is now. I'll find out before we post the notes, and we'll put a link to it. But the new version is going to be getting more um, more features as they get into it. I understand that it's like automatic paste into your browser, I believe. And uh, are you are you familiar with the pro version? I'm using the pro version. Okay. What, do you know what features are uh, are different? I'll, from I'll the- admit, Sorry. right now it is very similar. To yeah. the previous version. In fact, when I bought it, I was like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really do much difference. But um, I believe there are some subtle differences in 1Password. And, and again, I trust them, have promised that uh, there will be more copy-paste ability. There will be easier copy-paste ability. There will be more features and more access to different kinds of features that will be coming in the future. And especially with the release of their 3.0. 
I think that the, the syncing is supposed to get easier too. The syncing is kind of tedious because you've got to have both on and you've got to, you know, make the handshake and do everything. I believe that the syncing is supposed to get easier with the pro. Another thing about one password that I, you know, which is, you know, is kind of silly, but I really like the developers. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're at Macworld every year. Uh, they're really friendly Canadian guys and, they um they started off I believe developing web software of some sort and then decided to switch to Mac. They're they're huge huge Mac fans. Um, I remember talking to Dave, uh, one of the principals, right after the MacBook Air announcement. I mean, like an hour after Steve told us about the MacBook Air and him and I standing in the hallway and him telling me how there's no way I won't have one in six months and me telling him how of course I'll be able to resist and of course I ended up buying one. So. You know, just nice guys. They're really dedicated to their application. The other thing that I really like about them is every time there's an upgrade to a browser, um, they get the upgrade out to fix one password with the new browser. It's not a question of days. It's usually a question of hours, and sometimes it's a question of minutes. I just can't get over how fast they get those upgrades out. You know, if there's a new version of Safari within hours, there'll be a new version of one password to make sure everything works right. Now, one thing I do want to talk about is uh, Mac OS X does have some of this built in with the keychain. And a lot of questions that I get from people is, you know, what's so different about this? I can do all of this with the keychain. I can save my forms in Safari and do all of that. Why is this better? And my first response is, the keychain terrifies me in that by default, and it actually, I had changed this and it changed it back in Snow Leopard. Your keychain password is unlocked once you log in, and it's the same password as your login password. So anybody who can get into your computer, or if you walk away and your computer's open and unlocked, they have all the information that's supposedly safely and securely stored in your keychain. Uh, one of the big differences of 1Password is they use their own keychain. It used to be uh, an own, your own separate keychain within the Mac OS X keychain, and now they use their own different keychain format, which I gotta admit I resisted for a long time. I've never trusted the OS X keychain, so as soon as 1Password developed their own, I was like one of the first guys to jump on that because I don't understand why sometimes it just seems wide open. I mean, I don't try to unlock it, and I try to make the settings to lock down the keychain as much as I can. Then I come back, and my computer's got the keychain wide open. Well, any time you have to type in your password, it automatically unlocks the keychain, despite the fact you may have locked it before. Okay, so we've been gushing about 1Password long enough, I think. (laughs) Let's move on um, to one of the, uh, the most important aspects of security on your Mac, and that's physical security. Actually, I do have one more thing to add. Let me back up just one step, and then we'll move on to physical security. Sure. A lot of people who I've introduced to 1Password ultimately make the conversion over, and there's actually a way that you can import the web settings that you've saved in your Mac OS X keychain into 1Password. But once you've made that transition, you do then need to go and make sure that you remove that information from your Mac OS X keychain because it will still be there. Um, so I make sure that as soon as I did that or if I tell people about 1Password, once they're comfortable using it, once they're used to it, you take that information back out of the keychain because it could still potentially be there for the taking long after you've forgotten about it. Yeah, and I guess an, a caveat on that would be once you start using 1Password, don't have your browser fill in passwords for you anymore. Right. You know, Safari will say, hey, this is a password. Would you like me to remember? And just no. click never. Just click never because then one password will do it for you. When you can actually turn it off in the preferences as well now. 
Yeah. So it never even asks you. But all right, back to uh, physical security of your Mac. The Starbucks snatch and grab. I actually had a friend who had this happen to him. A, uh, he was sitting in Starbucks. Very attractive young lady asked him what time it was. Dropped her book bag. He leaned down to help her pick it up. Got back up, and his computer was gone. Was the very attractive lady gone too? Uh, very shortly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a two-person operation. Yeah, and there there are those, and there are some where they just just take it and run. And I actually think about it when I go in. There's oh, a, I would run them down. Yeah, hunt them down like a dog. <laughs> I, that is not what I'm at. at. That's not what I'm advocating. That is a bad decision. I'm just telling you, it's what I would do. Yeah, <laughs> Dante Seventh Circle, man, you are going deep. <laughs> um, but you just have to be careful. I mean, when I go into these places, I I try to sit in the corner so there's not a lot of traffic coming past me. I don't sit next to the door. So this is where being just generally antisocial can also. Be in your best interest. Yeah, yeah. Plug in the iPhone <laughs> headphones. You know, <laughs> tune yourself out to the world. Someone dropped their bag. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to pick up your own darn books. <laughs> <laughs> and rude, antisocial, and rude will keep your laptop safe. Just you know, just don't be careless. I mean, I don't know about you. When I go to like even refill a drink, my water when I'm in a restaurant sometimes because I, I go to these places all the time. I go to court and I get stuck in LA or somewhere and I'll go into um, corner bakery or something. And if, if I want to go refill my water glass, I'll just shut the lid and carry it over there with me and refill the water and go sit down again. Because, you know, walking across a restaurant, I just think you're taking a risk. Well, yeah. Cause then whoever you have to run down has that much of a head start on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else do you do to be safe in these places? Um, you know, this, this really bothered me and I know a lot of students who it, you know, you think you're safe on campus and, you know, you leave your laptop sitting open in the library cause Hey, we're all students, but yeah, nasty, nasty people come on campus and, and try to steal these things. Um, usually I take my laptop with me, uh, whenever I go somewhere, but I've also gotten one of these Kensington security cables. And, um, in fact, I had one of those Kensington security bolts attached to my desk at home. And right now I have my time machine and my external hard drive are actually bolted to my desk. I also have a, a spare one for my Mac that I could also bolt it to my desk, but I'll admit that because my Mac goes with me so often, I usually don't unless I'm, I'm leaving for an extended period of time. Um, and I've also have one of those in my bag that coils up, so it's it's pretty small. So if I'm at a hotel um, or somewhere that I'm going to be where I may have to leave my Mac, I can lock it to something. You also want to be careful when you're traveling. If you leave it in your car, you know it's better in the trunk than on the passenger seat because all they have to do is break a window. Right, um, and sometimes the windows cost more than the computer. Yeah, well, but also if they're looking in. They'll go after it. If they don't see it there, they're less likely to, you know, take a shot at the trunk. Um, you need to be careful when you're walking down the street and you've got it in a bag. I mean, you carry it carefully. I, I've got a couple of things. I, I keep it sometimes in my briefcase, which is in my hand. But a lot of times I, I have a nice little case that goes over the shoulder and I'll just kind of wear it like a messenger bag. And it would be kind of difficult to get off me if someone wanted to to grab my computer and run. Um I mean, you know, these are all common sense things and just think about your security because it's a very expensive piece of equipment. And if someone gets it off of you, not only do you have to buy a new computer, you've also lost that data 
that we've talked about. And you're putting yourself at risk of someone getting into the data unless you've got some real extreme uh, security over your data. But, but that being said, I mean, at some point you can be so paranoid that you end up never leaving your house or your laptop ends up never leaving its house, in which case you could have saved a couple hundred bucks and bought a desktop. Yeah. And, but there, and there is one way to kind of help with that paranoia, and that's called insurance. I actually just, when I moved, updated my coverage and got a separate policy for my laptop. Yeah, I've always carried a policy on my laptop, and it really makes me feel a lot better about, you know, because I take my laptop with me everywhere. And my office runs on PCs, so needless to say, I actually pretty much run my own practice out of my laptop. So it's always with me. And uh, uh, having a policy on your your computer is, to me, the ultimate way to handle it. I mean, everybody got all excited about netbooks because you have this disposable computer that you can carry around. But I don't like them because I just think the keyboard stinks, the screen stinks, and uh, and they cost four hundred dollars. Well, I'd rather spend a hundred dollars a year for four years on an insurance policy on my MacBook, and know that if it gets ripped off, I'm going to have a new one, and it's not going to cost me anything. Right. Um, now you had a company that you used and, and recommended both for uh, laptops and uh, now iPhone policies, right? Well, I've always bought these policies through a company called Safeware, and. I hesitate to say I recommend them. They've always been very easy to work with. I've never made a claim on them. I've never had a computer stolen. Um, but th- their policy includes accidental damage as well as um, a uh, theft. So if I drop it or if it gets stolen, I'm covered. And then that kind of works hand in hand with my Apple Care because Safeware doesn't cover if the hard drive fails or the monitor dies. It, it deals with basically you know accidental and theft damage. So I carry essentially two policies. Right, so um, it's it's not a replacement for Apple Care, and, no. and mine isn't any either. And I'll I'll talk a little more about my policy in a minute. Yeah, I wish my homeowners coverage would cover it, but my homeowners company just refuses to. I've always heard that people get better deals when they get it as part of their homeowners or their renters policy, but I can tell you, for my MacBook, it cost me about a hundred dollars a year, and okay. that's in addition to Apple Care. Um, for the for the iPhone, I bought a different policy and. Um, it wasn't as expensive uh, and Safeware came out with a policy right after I bought this one and the name of the company escapes me right now but it didn't they're they're pretty well known in insuring hardware I will put their name in the links of the show Um, but I don't think it covers theft I think it only covers accidental damage and uh, I'll get to the bottom of that but I wanted to have something on the iPhone when I bought the 3GS um, I've gone a, a little bit different route. In my case, my uh, renter's insurance, my car insurance, my homeowner's insurance. Uh, I just I have a State Farm agent here that that I like a lot, and and who just has all my policies, and I bundle them and save a little bit of money. Uh, but like you, I ran into the same problem and could not put my laptop and get the full extent of the coverage of my laptop on my homeowner's associ- my homeowner's insurance. It was really only going to be fully covered under certain specific situations like my house burning down, which I would have bigger things to worry about. Um, however, um, in my case, in my area, and this is certainly not to say that it's the case everywhere, so check with your individual agents, uh, State Farm does offer what they call a marine policy um, that covers you know, pretty much anything external of your house that's not otherwise covered by a policy. And um, they no longer cover cell phones because I was trying to get my MacBook and my iPhone insured. And I guess at one point they did cover cell phones, but they just found that, you know, there were too many claims on on cell phones, so they don't anymore, sadly. 
But uh, my MacBook is insured. Um, I think I put a $1,600 value on it because I figured for my 13-inch MacBook, that would pretty much cover it and the RAM upgrade and the hard drive upgrade and all of that other stuff. Uh, with here's the kicker, a $0 deductible. Um, no deductible. And because it's technically a separate policy, and, and this is one of the concerns a lot of people don't realize, you know, you have people who have insurance but are terrified to file claims for fear that they'll get canceled. And, you know, if my MacBook was stolen and it were on my homeowner's insurance, I would probably have to think f- twice about filing a claim because chances are my coverage or my rates or any of that stuff is, is either going to get canceled or go up. So by having this separate marine policy on my Mac, it cost me $58 a year. It has no deductible. It's with people that I know and trust. Uh, and if something should happen and I should file a claim, it's not going to affect my auto insurance rate or my uh, my homeowner's rates. I am totally going to look into that. Yeah. Because that's a lot cheaper than what I'm paying. But either way, it feels really good to have your Mac insured when you're going into these restaurants or carrying it around at work or wherever you're at. So uh, I know attorneys are like the most insured people on the planet because we're always seeing these these problems. I mean, insurance uh, writers love us, but uh, maybe even some other people listening to the show may decide to get some insurance. I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, What about this laptop tracking software? Yeah, there are a couple of programs out there um, that claim that they will track your laptop if it's lost or stolen. And probably the most famous out there is LoJack for laptops. Um, Saw them at Macworld, talked to them at Macworld. Um, And they're actually marketed and sold as well in the Apple Store. And they've got a couple of different – it's a subscription-based product where you install the software uh, at a very low level on your system that uh, you can then go to their website and report your laptop is stolen. And the next time that it is turned on, it will occasionally phone home. And um, you have options depending on which level of coverage you buy that they will either work with local law enforcement by tracking IP addresses and locations and try to recover your laptop. Um, Or if you are concerned that they may not be able to do that, they do have the ability to um, remote wipe your laptop. Right, what are your f- feelings about that? Um, I don't know that I would buy it. Yeah, you know, with the insurance policy, with the insurance solution. policy, I'm just not that concerned about it. Anymore. Yeah, with I mean, with the insurance policy plus the fact that I know that my data is locked down, to me, it it just seems like an extra level that, um, you know, if it makes you sleep better at night, then maybe it's worth it. Um. You know, their um, you know, just their their regular price for the software is um, seventy bucks. Uh, a little bit cheaper if you opt just for the electronic download, but it's a subscription, so you have to keep renewing it every year. And you know, for less than that, I get the insurance. Now, I do know a lot of corporations who have just um, you know got site licenses for it and uh, require it or install it on all of their computers. So. Yeah, I, I think for an individual, I would be much more inclined to get an insurance policy and than that. I mean, who knows? Even if you've got it installed, if law enforcement's going to give resources necessary to recover your $1,000 computer or not. And I, it seems to me like it might be a lot of wasted money. Yeah, so. but I tell you, you do hear a new story every week about someone getting their iPhone back with Find My iPhone, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> the same type of principle, although an iPhone is more likely to be regular 
connected than a computer. Yeah, some of those are scary, though. I mean, that guy in Chicago, I, I, rem- I was in Chicago, and I know that part of town. I, I don't think I'd go there looking for my iPhone. Right. Um, well, you know, I think we've kind of given a good overview of security on the Mac. Hopefully, having listened to this, it will have opened your eyes to some new ideas and um, given you some, some thoughts and some ideas where you stand on the question between security and convenience. And we definitely welcome your feedback. And if there's any areas of the show you would like us to expand upon, we're definitely looking at that, maybe even bringing in some outside experts to go deeper on some of these subjects. But I thought for a starter, it would be a good idea to kind of cover everything with a broad stroke the first time through. Um, but we had some feedback as well from our uh, prior episodes. Yeah, we saved, a, we saved a PhD. We saved a thesis. Yes, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, we got an email from a listener, and his name was um, Scott, and he was writing his PhD thesis. He said he was listening to our podcast, and he thought he had a pretty good backup system, but he decided, hey, why not? I'll go ahead and copy a bunch of stuff over to my iDisk. And then everything went poorly for him, and he lost his backup. He lost his computer, and... Uh, thought he was kind of screwed because of his thesis and then he remembered oh yeah i put it up on the iDisk after i listened to katie and dave and it was there oh, the funniest thing about heart stopping yeah you know the funniest thing he wrote the email to both of us and well he wrote it to the feedback right which, which goes to both of us which is great and he wrote the whole story and as you're reading down it you're going oh my goodness he's lost his thesis and it, it, you get to the end and he tells you oh by the way i had it on the iDisk thanks to you guys and you and I both responded to him without talking to each other, and we both wrote back the same thing. You know, we wrote back, okay, I want you to put it on a thumb drive. I want you to put it on a USB drive. I want that thing in six places before your head hits the pillow tonight. Then he wrote back laughing, saying that you and I had almost verbatim told him the same thing. Get it backed up. <laughs> so that was, that was interesting. Um, it was a good story, and uh, hopefully uh, – you can share that story with some friends and make sure that when you're you know, listening to the show that you're the person keeping people from getting into trouble. We also got some real good feedback about BitRot uh, with respect to CDs and DVDs and hard drives. And one listener wrote, up, wrote in and said, look, if you're going to put it on an external hard drive, you need to spin it up at least once every six months, which I think is very good advice. And I would say even more than that. Right. Um, if hard drives um, don't get in motion, they tend to not start back in motion. So you want to make sure... And uh, DLT tapes, he said, should be retentioned every six months. And uh, older generation media should be transitioned to newer generation media. We kind of covered that in the show, but I, I thought that was worthy of, of pointing out again. I mean, if you've got something on old media, get it off of there and put it on a hard drive. It's just so easy anymore. And whatever the next great thing is, SSD or whatever, in a few years, we'll be telling you to get it off those hard drives and put it on there. Um, you have to transition your data or you will lose it. Right. And another good point that they made is, especially if you're archiving or if you have lots of computers that you're backing up, you really do need to have some way to manage this data in terms of being able to know what is on what device and how is it accessible. So some kind of uh, categorization or indexing system um, really is going to be beneficial the deeper you get into this and the more stuff you have. Yeah. Uh, Listener Pat wrote in and, and corrected me and said, hey, guess what Apple does? try this stuff. You know, my rant about how Apple is just seeding these things to developers and the common users aren't, you know, finding the common problems. And this is referring to Snow Leopard and how we were talking about 
some of the problems specifically at that time with Leopard in that there were a few bugs that seemed to not get noticed on the radar. And uh, and Pat wrote in and said, hey, Dave, you're wrong. Uh, they actually do get it out to normal folks. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. And it, it kind of looks like that may be true based on the evidence. I mean, Snow yeah. Leopard came out without any major hiccups. And how do I get on that list? <laughs> I don't know if I really want to be the beta tester for Apple's operating system. I like having my computer work. And I, that is a serious commitment when you want to put a new operating system because that affects everything. And that's a big deal. All right. That's probably true. You know, another thing we've had that I wanted to just thank uh, some listeners, we've had some contributions. We've got a PayPal link on our site. And, you know, Katie and I both love doing this. And frankly, we're happy to pay the bandwidth costs, but it's even better when other people help out. And uh, it's great that we've had a few people chip in and that kind of makes it easier for us to to get the show going. And frankly, you know, we're talking about doing some other things with the show. And as we get, you know, kind of on our feet, that may be a help in that direction as well. So I'd like to thank you. You all know who you are. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and Katie, how do you contact us? Well, there are a couple of ways to contact us. The best way is to send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That message will go both to David and I, and sometimes you'll get a response from him, sometimes you'll get a response from me, sometimes in the case of uh, Scott and his PhD, you'll get an immediate and urgent response from both of us. Yes, you can also find us on Twitter at MacPowerUsers, and we got a lot of great ideas for this show from our Twitter uh, followers. Yes, unless you're a spammer, and then at which case you will be blocked on Twitter, because I just yes. went through, I don't know if you noticed, our numbers went down. Uh, I went through over this weekend and found a bunch of just, just spammers and other nefarious people, and uh, block, 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 block. I'm sure some of them will be back, so... You know, it's kind of sad how that started up on Twitter. I know, give me a break. Really, guys, on Twitter? Come on. There's no, there's nowhere safe anymore. Um, and, uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of us is either through the uh, feedback or the Twitter account. Am I missing anything? Um, well, you know, just if, if anybody wants to, we haven't really gotten into this, uh, working on getting us a Google voice number so we could get some audio feedback in here, but, uh, you always can record a standard audio comment and, uh, email it to us again at that feedback at Mac power users. And, uh, here a lot of people are doing that now with the, uh, iPhone app. Yeah, and I'm interested to hear from the listeners if they'd like us to play comments or not. So uh, let us know. We're definitely considering doing that. Yeah, let us know if you think that's a good idea. You can do that in writing or not. Um, iTunes reviews. Love uh, iTunes reviews. Yeah, we're up to 70, and I want to thank everyone. You've been very generous to take your time, and can that's helped us. Can we see if we can get up to 100 by the next one? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, but. Either way, it's, it's you know, to take time out of your day to go, and I know you have to jump through hoops for Apple to get the review posted or the comments posted, and I really do appreciate it, and it's great having it. And it just makes my day. Every time, I, you know, I, once a week or so, I, I log in and, and see what's happened and just yeah. um, and so touched every time I see that. So I really appreciate it. And it also helps the show just in terms of Apple juju and, and more comments equals more exposure, which more exposure equals more listeners. So... Uh, it does do more than just stroke our egos. And we have picked a topic for the next show. Yeah, this worries me. <laughs> what are you afraid of? It's not that bad. Okay. okay it's we're something gonna talk- I've been meaning to do. So I've been wanting for a while to do a show on Automator. Um, but now that we have this great new services menu in Snow Leopard, uh, I am able to uh, 
convince Katie to let me do this. So we're going to have a show basically about services and automator. We're going to have some automation talk in the next show. And uh, so take a look at that in your uh, Snow Leopard installation because it really opens up your computer. I gushed about it like a schoolgirl in the ra- Mac Roundtable this week. I actually listened to it today in the car and I thought I kind of thought, oh my goodness, who is this guy? But uh, <laughs> But I really love these services, and I've already got a bunch of them installed. So I'm going to walk through some of my favorite ones that I have in our next show. I look forward to hearing from you if you've got some that you particularly like. Uh, The good news is no matter what you're doing on your computer, you can benefit from this show because you can learn some ways to do things quicker and faster and more efficiently. So we're going to kind of talk through the basics of Automator. Uh, We're going to go through some scripts and service setups. And kind of see where it goes. It's kind of tough without a screencast. We're going to actually be walking through it. So um, I'm curious to see what everybody thinks about it. But we're going to be doing our best to make a good presentation of it so you can listen to it in your car or in front of your Mac and get something out of it. Sounds like a plan. All right, David. Well, we've talked about security. I think we've got everybody a little more paranoid. And that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah. Between backups and security, I, I think we'll probably lose a lot of subscribers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> These guys just can't stop getting me worried. But uh, it's good stuff. If you, you know, be aware, and you will uh, not have a lot of problems. Sounds good. All right. Until next time. I'll see you then.